0: The following is a chapter reading of Pokemon, Origin of Species, by Daystar Eld. Please support the original author at DaystarEld.com. Chapter 3. Mimetics 101 Pallet Town has no particular boundary, the building simply growing further and further apart until the roads fade to hard-packed dirt. Cars continue to pass the three travelers by on the main street, but once they reach the outer edges, the majority of traffic is on foot or bicycle, cutting through the grass every which way to reach the various houses and stores around Pallet's perimeter. Red's mother had told him that this was how the whole town was at first, just a collection of spaced-out buildings with dirt roads between them. He looks back at the heart of the town now and smiles at its permanence. The Pokemon labs taking up bright and shining against the clear blue sky. A half hour later, they're far away from any houses, and the various paths meander over the hills and between lakes. The foliage growing wild and free in every direction around them. Conversation is light for the first couple of hours. Occasionally, Leaf asks a question about Kanto, and Blue or Red will answer fully, but without embellishment. Fred doesn't know how Blue sees it, but it feels awkward traveling with a stranger. Especially after spending so long planning their journey together. The first bit of excitement comes when a flock of Pidgey fly by overhead. Too high for a Pokeball to reach, Red and Blue still argue over whether his Squirtle could have hit one with a water gun. Leaf suggests he take measurements of its range, but Red objects that firing upwards would be very different than firing horizontally, even without taking into account the wind, while Blue says he doesn't want to tire Squirtle out. And they continue walking in silence once again. Finally, Leaf turns to Red and says, So you mentioned finding fault with the common type charts back at the lab. Would you mind explaining what you meant? Oh, uh, sure. Ignoring Blue's smirk, Red collects his thoughts. So, how much do you know about the history of typing? Not a lot, Leaf says. I know it hasn't always been around, but it's pretty universal. Right. Professor Dawkins from Hoens uses the typing phenomenon as an example of a meme in his book The Selfish Gene. A meme is an idea, behavior, or style that spreads from a person to person in cultures. Unlike a simple fad, memes are like genes in that they self-replicate and adapt to selective pressures. Okay, but the meme of typing must be useful if it's good at surviving and spreading, right? Sure, at some level, but think of how everyone but professors incorrectly call Pokemon metamorphosis evolution. Even some professors do it colloquially. It's just too ingrained in the public consciousness. Just because an idea is popular and resilient doesn't mean it's correct. Leaf looks skeptical. Eh, I don't know. I mean, sure, it's the last part, but that example seems like a semantic argument. Words change in meaning over time based on use. Maybe in a hundred years, evolution will mean what we now call metamorphosis, and metamorphosis will mean what we now call evolution. Red waves this off. That's just an example of how things can spread without being critically examined. The point is that typing started in one culture, spread throughout it, and then moved on to every other culture from there. Normally, when new ideas get introduced, there's some pushback, some skepticism. It's not immediately adopted as a norm. Typing is such a strong meme because of how interactive and efficient it is. It satisfies the need people have to classify things and fit them into boxes. It encourages the tribal tendencies in us to pick favorites, and satisfies our desires for fairness and balance. With the typing meme, every Pokemon has strengths and weaknesses, so virtually none are strictly superior to another. The commercialization of battle tournaments accelerated its spread even further, until virtually every region had adopted the same system, with little time or inclination to critically examine typing. The metagame evolved around it, and creating or countering a balanced team demanded the study of type interactions. Even minor differences got washed away over time in the face of popularity and conformity. Here in Kanto, we used to call them plant types before grass cut on, even though it makes less sense. He's been calling them plant types ever since he learned that, Blue says. Hey, I always thought it was stupid. Sure you did. Leaf smiles. Okay, so there's probably room for error along the way, but no one claims that a typing system is perfect. It's still being adapted based on what we observe. Blue nods. That's what I always say, but small changes aren't enough for him. The typing meme is too ingrained to allow fundamental shifts, Red says. The details adapt as we learn more, but the basics, that Pokemon are one or two types, that those types are weak or strong against other types, have persisted, even when they don't always make much sense. Leaf is quiet for a moment. So the whole idea of typing Pokemon started in a certain culture and spread as a concept from one to the next without necessarily being justified. The meme of Pokemon types is just so ingrained by now, it persists without ever being critically examined. Is that the gist? More or less. Specifically, my problem is with how it's done and the rigidity of the interactions between the types. Like I said, I'm fine with calling my Charmander a fire type, and obviously he's strong against plant types. But take those Pidgey we saw earlier. What would you call those, if you saw them in Unova? I didn't get a good look, but probably flying normal? Right. So what does that mean, flying? What does that mean, normal? Blue sighs. Just tell her what you think. No, I like this, Leaf says with a smile. It's how my mom likes to teach. She thinks about it for a moment. So, first off, there's the obvious. They fly. Not all Pokemon do, so it's an important distinction. And normal just means just... normal. You know, baseline. Nothing remarkable. I always figured normal is what we call a Pokemon when we can't figure something else to call them. Okay, so what does it mean to be a flying Pokemon, in terms of strengths and weaknesses to others? Well, it's strong against fighting grass and bug types, but weak to rock, electric, and ice attacks. Oh, the ground attacks are pretty worthless against it. What does all this have to do with being flying? Leaf blinks at him. Well, birds eat plants and bugs, and fighting Pokemon can't really hit them. And since they're in the air, being knocked down by a rock or lightning is extra painful when they hit the ground, and, well, cold makes it hard to fly. Red is nodding. So let's deconstruct that a bit. The first thing you said was that birds eat plants and bugs. Are all flying Pokemon birds? The next thing you listed were consequences of being in the air. So was all that a part of what a Pokemon is or what it does? If a flying type has a broken wing, what type is it? So you're saying flying isn't a type? It's just what some Pokemon do. So we lumped that in with a typing meme. S seems to be splitting hairs a bit. Even if they don't share universal traits, flying still seems like a worthwhile classification. Let's shift focus a bit. Do you know any fighting Pokemon? Sure. Minfu. Is that in your Pokedex? Leaf pulls it out and shows it to them. A bipedal, weasel-looking Pokemon appears. Its movements and strikes very balanced and quick. Neat. Are Minfu fighting-slash-normal? No, just fighting. Why? Because it just isn't. Would it be a fighting-slash-normal? I've never even heard of a fighting-slash-normal type. Red takes out his Pokedex and shows her a Machop. What's this look like to you? Fighting. Not fighting slash normal? No. But not fighting slash fire either, right? Or fighting slash bug? Or fighting electric? I mean, it's a normal looking fighting type, I guess. But I guess it just doesn't make sense to call it a fighting normal. It seems unnecessary to add it. But not unnecessary to call it a Pidgey flying slash normal? Red switches a Pokedex image to show a polywirl. What about this guy? Leaf examines the bipedal amphibian that looks water, maybe water fighting Red switches it to a polyrath. It's metamorphed more muscular form, and this definitely water slash fighting. What tipped you off the physique? It's clearly strong. I just think it would be a fighting type, but also a water type. Well, yeah. That's obviously still a water type." Red nods and puts his Pokedex away. Let's say you found a new Pokemon type. A new type? Yeah, how would you know? The three walk in silence, Pallet Town a distant, vague shape behind them. Red pulls out his water bottle and takes a drink, the cool liquid refreshing under the hot sun. He offers some to Blue and Leaf, who take it in turns. I guess I would have to see it do something I've never seen before, Leaf says at last. Okay, like what? Like, I don't know, control wind? I guess that would be flying type, huh? What if it doesn't fly itself? Hmm, maybe if it controlled light, or if I found a Pokemon made of some new material? Though I'm not sure what, like a glass type? Red smiles. So basically, you would base it on what ability it has, or what it's made of? Yeah, when you put it like that, it seems obvious. But that's pretty much the way things are, isn't it? but we don't see it so clearly most of the time. We're so used to thinking of types as intrinsic to a Pokemon that we lump what it does in with what it is. Okay, I mean, I follow what you're saying. I'm just not sure how that necessarily makes typing wrong. If the effects of what a Pokemon does and what it is are basically the same, what difference does it make? That's where the mean problem comes in. Do we invent the typing system ourselves? No, Leaf says slowly. We inherited its whole cloth from another culture. So what's the question you have to ask yourself now? Leaf is quiet for a minute as the three shift into a well-worn side path around the hill, the grass high as Red's waist on either side. A berry bush grows beside it, and Blue and Leaf take a few handfuls to fill their pouches, handing some to Leaf. She thanks them, then answers. How much do people know about Pokemon when the meme of typing them started? Blue groans. You've walked right into his trap. Red is grinning. Not just how much do people know about Pokemon, but how much do people know about anything? I've looked into it, and it turns out the answer is not a lot. The origins of typing are a bit murky, but it's definitely started over 3,000 years ago. Think about that for a minute. People were classifying types before we even knew about cells or basic chemistry. Some of the classifications adapted as time went on. Lightning became electric around the time we managed to harness it. Others got simplified to popular usage. When man-made Pokemon like Magnemite and Clink started showing up, Steel-type became the norm, even though many metal Pokemon don't have steel in them. And not all metals have the same properties. It was the grass thing all over again. And that's just names. We still can't agree on what a Dragon-type is. No matter how you cut it, the classification system just isn't rational. And you don't think it might fix itself over time? Leaf says. Red shrugs. At some point, given enough time and pressure, maybe. Maybe we'll start seeing people classify Pokemon with three types instead of two. But even if we do, I bet these types are still based on our current illogical, contradictory system. Contradictory how? Think back to the fighting examples. Why is it acceptable to call some Pokemon fighting water, but others just fighting, when we call every flying Pokemon that isn't something else flying slash normal? Just as she opens her mouth to respond the grass to her side begins to rustle. Everyone freezes, Blue's hand already on his Pokeball. Careful, he whispers. Probably just Tata, but they don't normally attack three people traveling together. Just walk quietly. They begin to move again, slowly passing the shaking grass. The rustling suddenly comes from the opposite side in front of them, and Red's heart leaps in his throat as three shapes rush out at him and Leaf. He raises a hand to push her out of the way and is surprised to feel her palm against his. He turns a bit and sees a surprise mirror in her face, and they are propelling each other in opposite directions as the Rattata jump just where they had been standing. Teeth flashing and squealing in anger. Squirtle, go! Come out, Bulbasaur! Two flashes of light, and Leaf and Blue's Pokemon are standing between them and the Rattata. Another two had emerged from Blue's direction, and dashed at Squirtle from both sides. Squirtle, withdraw! The blue turtle pops her head and limbs into the hard shell, just as the two rodents tackle her. But she pops out of her shell unharmed a moment later, while both Rattata appear a bit dazed from the impact. Water gun! A brief jet of water smacks one of the Rattata into the grass, then the other. It all happens so fast that Red barely has time to throw his own Pokeball and yell, Charmander, I choose you! His fire lizard materializes a few feet before him and Red snatches a Pokeball out of the air as it rockets back towards him, feeling a surge of adrenaline. His brief triumph is forgotten as Charimander rushes to intercept to Rattata, heading for Red. The two begin to bite and scratch at each other, and Red steps to the side so that the fight is between him and the other two Rattata, forcing them to circle around. Charimander, tail whip! Charmander breaks away from the Ratata, then whirls around and smacks it with the flame at the end of his tail. The rodent squeals in pain and scampers back. Bulbasaur! Tackle! Then Vine Whip! Red glances to the side to see Leaf dealing with the other two Rattata. He can't risk using embers so close to Bulbasaur, especially with all the grass around them. Luckily, the Rattata releases its bite and backs off as soon as Charmander approaches, and a sudden jet of water from the side sends a tumbling head over paws. The three trainers step back to back in a rough triangle, and their Pokemon spread out to cover them from every angle as the Rattata circle warily. Red does a quick count, dismayed to see eight of the purple-furred rodents. You must have stepped near a nest, he says as Charmander growls at the encroaching Rattata, halting its advance. So close to the road? Leaf asks. It might be new. Squirtle! Water Gun! We need to keep moving till we're past it! Blue tosses a berry at his Pokémon after she finishes blasting away another Rattata. Squirtle snaps it out of the air, munching and swallowing without taking her eyes off the enemies. On it. Charmander. Ember. 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 Each command is punctuated by a point in a different direction, and Charmander whips his tail again and again to fling fiery oil into the path ahead. The Rattata dive out of their way, and Red yells, Come on! and runs for the opening. Charmander dashes along at his heels, and he hears the others following behind. The Rattata run along both sides and behind them, some getting close enough to leap, Charmander intercepts one midair and smacks it away with its tail, while the other lands on Red's shoulder. Its teeth tearing through the protective mesh under his shirt and sink into his shoulder. He yells a sharp pain that runs through his arm and bashes its furry body with its fists until it falls off. Squirtle headbutt, Bulbasaur tackle. Red keeps running, one hand held over his bleeding shoulder, heart pounding. He reminds himself to breathe as he runs. The months of physical training paying off as they begin to outrun the rodents. One makes a final leap on a Charmander, and both Pokemon tumble to the ground, tearing into each other. Red stops and turns around. Leaf and Bulbasaur are right behind them, Blue and Squirtle a bit further back. Bulbasaur, fine whip! The Rattata is knocked off Charmander, who struggles to his feet, bleeding from multiple wounds. Red dashes forward as a Rattata attacks Charmander again and kicks the rodent to make it veer off, right into Bulbasaur's tackle. The wild Pokemon is knocked into a limp heap. Thanks, Red says as Blue and Squirrel reach them. The rest of the Rattata giving up the chase and disappearing back into the grass. You guys all right? Blue asks and then hisses in sympathy as he sees Red's bloodstained sleeve. Here, let's get something on that, Leaf says, reaching into her bag. Charmander first. Red kneels before a trembling Pokemon and reaches back to open the side pouch of his pack, pulling out a small bottle by feel. You did great, Charmander, he murmurs. He sprays the lizard's wounds and feels a knot of tension released in him as the painkiller visibly kicks in. Charmander's shaking stops, the lizard's eyes slipping closed and his rapid breath steadying. The medicine begins to coagulate the Charmander's wounds right before Red's eyes, and after it finishes, he stands and points his Pokeball at the lizard. Return! Only once Charmander is absorbed back into the ball does Red sit on the ground to catch his breath, resting back on his pack with his legs sprawled in front of him. He watches Blue and Leaf pet and feed their own Pokemon before withdrawing them, then lets them tend to his wound. Blue carefully bears Red's bloody shoulder, and Leaf sprays her own potion onto the wound. The pain relief is immediate, and Red lets out a breath, feeling his whole body relax. The other two sit, Leaf breathing hard while Blue rolls up his long sleeve to spray some potion to scratch marks on his arm. There's silence as everyone recuperates, and after a minute... Red notices he's smiling. When he catches Blue's eye, he sees him smiling too. Their smiles turn into grins, and soon they're both laughing until Red is clutching his sides and Blue is lying on his back, hands over his face. What's the matter with you two? Leaf says, though she's grinning too. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Blue gasps, wiping at one eye and sitting up. That was just totally, uh, totally awesome. Red extends a fist. And Blue raps Knuckles with his. Leaf laughs. You only say that because we made it through all right. Well, yeah, Red says, still feeling a ghost of the adrenaline rush, remembering the crystal clarity of his thoughts. It's just nice to finally know how you really handle that sort of situation, you know? Leaf nods. You guys are great. Blue pats Squirtle's Pokeball. All in a day's work. You were amazing too, Red says. How did you know Bulbasaur would act out two different commands consecutively? I tried it back at the lab. Took a few attempts, but he picked up on it quick. Nice. Not everyone wasted their time making discoveries that weren't discoveries, Blue says, and ducks as Red throws a pebble at him. Leaf giggles and turns to Red. The look on your face. When we pushed each other? The look on your face. Blue grins. You two look like dancers whose music got cut off mid-step. Everyone laughs again, and when it tapers off, they simply sit and listen to the wind over the fields. Red's nerves still feel amped, and his hand twitches for his Pokeball every time the wind rustles the grass particularly hard, in case any more Pokemon rush out at them. When his nerves calm a bit, Red remembers their duty. Hey, he says, as he pulls out his phone and brings up the coordinated Ranger Response network site. How far did we run about? Blue looks up. Contacting Cornette? Yeah. Leaf tilts her head back and closes her eyes. Say a sprinting speed of 19 kilometers an hour. Couldn't have been more than 15 seconds of running, so 19 by 60 divided by 4 would be about 80 meters. Red opens a calculator app and checks for math, then adds good with numbers to his tally of Leaf's skills as he inputs the rough location of the potential ratchet to nest. He flags that lowest priority, and a few moments later gets back an automated estimation of response time. Looks like there's a pair of rangers nearby, so they should deal with the nest before anyone else wanders past it. Want to stick around till they get here? Leaf asks. "'Now they'll have it covered,' Blue says, stretching and sitting up. "'We should get a move-on.' Movement at the corner of Red's eye makes him turn. The rat Bulbasaur had knocked out a stirring. "'Hey,' Red says, rising to his feet. "'It's waking up. Is that the one that bit you?' "'No, it's the one that got Charmander.' "'Well?' Leaf gestures. "'Care to do the honors?' Red glances at Blue, who smiles. "'Go ahead. I'll get the next one.' "'Hell yeah!' Red takes out one of his unregistered Pokeballs as the Rattata begins to get shakily to its feet, and with a press of the lens button, expands it. Pokeball, scan! He holds the lens towards the Rattata, and when the ball emits a chime, cocks it back, aims, and throws, muscle memory kicking in from hours of practice he and Blue had spent hitting cans with rocks. The ball hits the Rattata dead on, and sucks it in with a burst of light before rolling along the ground. The lens blinks red as it registers the Pokemon inside, then fades. Nice job! Congratulations, Red! Red picks up his first caught Pokemon and takes out his Pokedex, lining up the lens on both. The screen shows Rattata resting in a grassy glade, its vital data listing beside it. Rattata, female, height 28 centimeters, weight 3.3 kilograms, approximate age 9 months, Rattata's large teeth grow continuously throughout its life and must be worn down by gnawing. Hardy omnivores, Rattata have been known to thrive in virtually any environment. Because it reproduces so quickly, a pair of Rattata can quickly colonize an area. Seeing that his new Pokemon is a female sends a note of disquiet through Red's triumph. He thinks back to what he'd said about them stumbling into a nest. Had he just caught a mother? His train of thought is interrupted by Blue's hand clapping his good shoulder. Come on, let's get going. I want to find a Pidgey. His friend picks up his bag and begins to jog ahead. Lee smiles and follows, and Red clips his new Pokemon to his belt and hurries to catch up. This has been a reading of Pokemon, Origin of Species. Written by Daystar Eld. Read by Mars Oliva. This chapter's original text can be found at daystareld.com. The music used is Goodnight, My Friends by DJ Cutman.